Now, outbreaks of the crown of thorns starfish have been plaguing Australia's northern reefs for about four decades. These starfish can have more than 20 arms with hundreds of toxin-tipped thorns, and their main source of food is coral. When they're in plague proportions, the effects are just devastating. But before the crown of thorns became coral-munching predators, they start life as very small juveniles with less, less toxicity. And now new research funded by the Great Barrier Reef Foundation has found that the humble red decorator crab can eat up to five juvenile starfish a day. And there's hope that this crab could be part of a biological solution to limit the damage of starfish outbreaks. One of the researchers is Dr Kenny Wolfe from the University of Queensland's School of Biological Sciences. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Jodine. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, t- this is an interesting story because it's, it's both terribly exciting and also sort of little bits of warning in there as well. What do these crabs look like? Um, yeah, good question. They're decorator crabs, as you said earlier. So that means that much like a Christmas tree, they're decorating themselves with all different organisms from the ecosystem. So they put different sponges uh, and seagrasses and macroalgae on their backs uh, to camouflage, but also as a little snack for later sometimes. And could you walk us through the crown of thorns life cycle, please, and why it's important uh, to, to get them why they, while they're young and why the, the crabs might play a role here? Definitely. This is a, a feature of a lot of invertebrates in our oceans. Um, we focus a lot on the crown of thorns adults because they're the ones having the biggest impact on the reef as really large. They get b- bigger than a dinner plate um, and, as you said earlier, are very spiky um, and they don't have many predators. So when we um, have the juveniles, which occupy different spaces in the habitat, and they're actually herbivores, so they're eating algae in those early stages of their life before they grow up to the size of about your thumbnail and then they switch to a coral diet and, I guess, like a protein bulker in the gym will grow very quickly and then they can wreak havoc. But um, targeting them when they're small in this herbivorous life stage is therefore really critical to kind of tackling their their populations before they're an issue. Uh, I didn't realise they started off so small. Um, now, this research builds on your own research into coral rubble. That's also pertinent here, isn't it? Could you explain what that is and why it matters? Yeah, so I've been working on coral rubble ecosystems for quite a few years now. And I guess I can liken this to when a building falls down in a city, all the bricks will turn to rubble. And that happens on a coral reef. So when the coral dies and breaks down, this is a natural process, but also accelerated by some of the activities um, that humans are having on the reef. Um, But the coral will turn into these rubble bed ecosystems. And what's great for me as an invertebrate biologist is that all the tiny little critters love to hide in this space. It's much like in The Lion King, when they turn over the log in the woods and it's slimy yet satisfying, they get all these delicious bugs and snacks coming out of the, the logs. That's the same ecosystem um, that coral rubble provides for invertebrates in our oceans. So, yeah, there's a whole suite of animals that live there. Now, you tested over 100 different species to find a natural crown of thorns starfish predator. Um, how long did that take you? Uh, we've definitely spent lots of months out there in the field, um, mostly at Heron Island. We've, we've focused our research um, to one site to begin asking these questions and hope to expand in future. Um, 
But yeah, we've we spent lots of hours diving on the reef, um, going through this dead rubble ecosystem, trying to find different crabs and worms and snails that could be potential predators of the the smallest uh, juvenile stages of crown of thorns because they also um, occupy this rubble habitat. So the juvenile uh-huh. crown of thorns starfish live alongside these these rubble dwellers. So this was a, a quite a significant breakthrough and um, the research is still in its preliminary stage, I know. Is, are there any risks? I mean, I'm naturally thinking of, you know, the way we, we find these alleged, result, you know, breakthroughs, but it's too much for the, for the delicate ecosystem. Are, are, there, are there risks sort of relying on these predator crabs? Um, in terms of um, applying this knowledge, do you mean? Yes, yes. I mean, could they yeah. could they go feral themselves? Dare I put it like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess um, calling from Queensland myself. Um, in terms, I guess this is where people take our finding immediately is this kind of cane toad idea Indeed. where maybe we could release them <laughs> in the environment and they'll eat all of the crown of thorn starfish and our reef will be okay. Um, but. I think we've learned from the cane toad that we have to have a really educated understanding of the environment and the way that these crabs operate. And at the moment, there's very little information on these species that we've found as key predators at this juvenile stage. So um, for the moment, we're focusing on understanding their biology and their distribution on the reef before we think about any kind of uh, applied biocontrol. I see. So they, they're small and I think you also don't want people looking for them. That's part of the thing. So, you know, the risk is that people say, oh, we'll go and find them. We'll add to our own, we'll do our own little bit of vigilante work. Yeah, um, there's definitely room for citizens and the public to, to keep an eye out for these crabs. If they look at our, our work and become familiar with these species, Um, There's a lot of platforms online like the Atlas of Living Australia where people can upload their photos and observations of species on the reef. But as I said earlier, this rubble habitat um, is is very cryptic and to find these species you do have to kind of search through the habitat. So I don't advocate for anyone to be going out there and and actively searching, but there's definitely observations online that I've uh, kind of trudged through that do exist for these species. So Would the public you, can definitely keep their eyes open. How So realistic assessment then, um, how long might it take you to fully research these predator crabs before they could start to be, I mean, do you really believe they could be a breakthrough? Um, it's been really, really exciting uh, working with these uh, crabs in the lab. And we did kind of very simple Tupperware experiments, I guess, with a crab and a starfish just to see if they did eat them. And then for successful predators, we put them in more complex uh, experiments that eventually was mimicking the rubble ecosystem itself with the rubble and all of the other animals that would be interacting. And the crabs were still able to locate and consume high numbers of the starfish. So it gives us, uh, I guess, a lot of hope for their ability to do this in nature as well. Uh, and any uh, any other sort of co- coming out of this rubble while I've got you, any other possible uh, developments that uh, even might be on the horizon? Um, for us, it's conducting, as I said earlier, this, this research has been focused on uh, Heron Island, which is on the Southern Great Barrier Reef and doesn't really have a big history of crown of thorn starfish outbreaks. And 
That's because on the Great Barrier Reef, there's hot spots that seem to occur for outbreaks. Some reefs seem to be more susceptible to having high numbers of the starfish, and a lot of those reefs are up north, um, out of the Cairns region. And so our next step is to take all of this knowledge and do our surveys up north to see if maybe the, the distribution and numbers of crabs can help explain that. And using that information, we can then start to target where reefs may or may not be susceptible. And uh, again, you know, the crown of thorns itself is is a, is a, nat- a species native to here, and in small numbers, is actually good for the reef. It's when these outbreaks occur, isn't it, that that the problem is uh, arises. Yeah, definitely. And that's people don't often realise that they are a native species. Uh, so the cane toads, for example, are introduced to as a biocontrol, but crown of thorns exist naturally on our reefs and in low numbers um, through their feeding ecology they can actually enhance biodiversity of coral by favoring the weedy fast-growing corals and letting the slower other corals to to come through the system so in low numbers they're very good but in in their outbreak uh, densities that's when it's a bit like locusts through a farmer's crop all right well look um keep going thank you very much indeed (laughs) Thanks for that. Uh, and that was Dr. Kenny Wolfe, who has been working uh, on ways to control the Crown of Thorns starfish outbreaks. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.